You know, at the beginning of our worship this morning when Paul was talking about the different things that came to his mind, when you think about the concept of something that's being unleashed, he has some good examples there. I, I didn't think about it, but I totally get it. Kids running out to recess, man. I, like, you're right, and it's the waiting in line at the door. Like, just let me go. I can see the swing from here. Let me go. That's a great example. I mean, think about the different examples that just come to your mind when you hear that word unleashed. Uh, maybe it is just about a dog and letting the dog take off running. I, I think of, you know, fireworks. I mean, you got this, this little thing full of powder and, 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 you know, just waiting for that power to be unleashed in some way and, and sparkles across the sky. Um, I thought of, you know, this is kind of a negative way, but I thought of, you know, a dam bursting. That's a lot of destruction. So I didn't really want to focus on that very much. But you think about it, like, you know, this, all this water that's being held back by this dam and just the smallest little thing could cause that whole thing to become unleashed, right? Um, Y'all remember the movie, I I know probably shouldn't recommend it from the pulpit, but remember the movie Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase? (laughs) All the lights on the house and what what did it take to be unleashed? You know, not just putting the plug together, you had to flip the switch on, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe you'll watch it at Christmas. But you know, unleashing uh, these Christmas lights. Uh, if you've been to a, a Razorback football game and you see, you know, when they're coming out of the locker room and there's now they have this like fence like gate kind of thing and you're just waiting for, you know, the smoke starts coming and the band's playing and all of a sudden here come all the football players and it's amazing. But, uh, you know, one of the best examples I think of something being unleashed has anybody ever seen John Brown University is just down the road in Silent Springs. Anybody ever seen the John Brown University toilet paper game? Okay. Look it up on YouTube if you've never seen it before. It's amazing, all right? And, and they've been doing this. This coming fall will be the 40th year in a row they do this. The first game of the season, the first basket that their team scores, the entire, it's not even the student section, the entire crowd throws rolls of toilet paper onto the court. It is amazing. You really need to see it if you haven't watched it. I mean, I'll even kind of allow you to kind of look right now if you want to. It's an amazing, turn the volume down on your phone. It's an amazing thing to see because there's hundreds of these students. And, and uh, I mean, they're even handing out toilet paper before the game starts. Everybody's got a roll in their hand. And, you know, it's not like five seconds into the game they score. It usually takes a little bit. I mean, there's, you know, passing the ball around. And finally, somebody finally scored. But the whole time, the, these students are just waiting. And sometimes it's a missed shot first. You know, they're like, oh. And, and then finally, when that basket goes in, when the ball goes through the basket, it's just a shower of white that just comes out of the crowd onto the court. It's an amazing thing. It is unleashed. Toilet paper is unleashed <laughs> onto the basketball court. Just so you know, it's a technical foul, and they, uh, the other team gets to shoot free throws afterwards, and they call it the greatest technical foul in sports. Uh, but it's, it's an amazing thing, and, and that's what I have in mind thinking about this concept of unleashed, that there's, that there's something with, with power, there's something that, that's dynamic, something that's ready to just break out and overflow, and it's just it's at that waiting moment. We're waiting to see something that's just going to, burst forth in some form or fashion. That's, that's what I want us to be thinking of. And that's, I believe that's a good way to describe what happens or what is happening with God's power sometimes. I believe that, that, that there is a God, that he is still active in this world, that he is still active in our lives, that he still displays his power in incredible ways. 
But I also believe that sometimes God has the ability to act, the potential to do something amazing. He's ready to, to break out, to make his presence and his power known in some way. But we have to be the ones to unleash that power. And how do we do that? That's through the power of prayer. I believe that our prayers have power. That, that God can and will do amazing things in our lives and amazing things in the lives of people that we care about if we spend consistent time in prayer. And I believe that sometimes God is just waiting for us to ask. God is just waiting for He's got the power. He's ready to act. He's ready to do something. And he's just waiting for us to tap into that power and allow, you know, not that we're more powerful than God, but he's just, it, it's, and we're going to talk about this in a second, it's almost a faith thing. Do you really think that I can do this? I've got the power, I've got the potential, I'm ready to do something in your life. But until I'm ready to ask him for it and to receive it, he's not going to necessarily allow it to happen. It won't become unleashed until I pray for it and expect it. I believe that our prayers and having a consistent prayer life can cause the amazing to happen. I believe that, that powerful, even sometimes supernatural things happen when we pray. And here's why. If you got your Bibles, open them up to the book of James. If you got a Bible app on your tablet, on your phone, go to the book of James. This is going to be on the screen as well. The book of James is towards the end of the New Testament. Not all the way to the very end, but getting pretty close. In James chapter 5, at the very end of that book, James chapter 5 and verse 16, James says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, in case you didn't know or in case you forgot, what we're looking at on the screen, what you're looking at in your Bible is not originally written in our modern-day English language. This was originally written in ancient Greek language. And some of these words have a different, um, maybe even more meaning to us if we go back to the original language that they're written in. So I want to do that. For, I want to break this down a little bit for us and, and help us get a clearer picture of what James is saying about our prayers and what happens when we pray. So first of all, this word powerful, the word that we translate in English is powerful. That original Greek word carried with it the connotation of, of engaging something that is resisting against us. And, and conquering it, overcoming it. It's not just like a potential power, like, you know, there's, there's power coming through the lights right now. This is something that, that we're, we're meeting face on or it's coming against us. And, and we're not shirking back from that. We're not, we're not uh, withdrawing from that. We're engaging it head on and we're overcoming it. That's what is involved in that word that we translate as powerful. And then this word effective is actually two Greek words. The first one uh, just means to work, but not just work like go do your job. It's, work, it's something that is, that is working and, and, and taking action and moving something from one place to another. This is where I was. This is where I am now. I am working towards something. I am moving forward in some way. Does that make sense? And then the other Greek word is just much, a lot. So, you combine those words in our English language, we call it effective. It is working, something that is working that is moving forward in, in a, a, either multiple times or moving a great distance forward. Does that make sense? 
So here's what James is, is effectively saying. That the prayer of a righteous person causes action that moves us forward and causes us to meet whatever it is that we're coming up against and, and causes us to overcome it. That's what prayer does. That's what happens when I pray. And just to be clear, I don't think that James is saying it's my power that's doing this. It's my strength. Uh, it's, it's me that's causing these things to happen. It's the power of God that is on display in my life because I pray. I pray to God and he begins to do much work to move me from where I am to where I need to be. I pray to God and he recognizes whatever it is that I'm, whatever it is that's a struggle, that's a temptation, that's hurting me, that's, that's an addiction, that's a habit, that's, that's a problem. He helps me overcome it. He helps me hurdle it. He helps me blast right through it. He removes it from my life. He moves in a powerful way and overcomes whatever it is that's in my path so that I can keep moving forward. That's a really big explanation of one sentence, right? But that's what James is getting at here. I think that's what James wants people to understand when they read this one sentence. Stuff happens when we pray. God moves when we pray. God moves us when we pray. God moves in a powerful way. God conquers, God overcomes, God answers when we pray. But I want you to notice the other key word uh, in this verse, and that's the word righteous. It's the prayer of a righteous person that taps into and unleashes the power of God in their lives. Now, what does that mean? Righteous, that sounds like a really churchy word, right? When you think of the word righteous, you think of, you know, what's a, what's a righteous person? I, I would imagine a lot of us think of somebody that, well, almost like a goody two-shoes, right? They never do anything wrong. They never mess up. They never get in trouble. They never make mistakes. They never fail. They always make the right choices. They always are around the right people. Everything's just right. I said that in a really judgmental way, didn't I? <laughs> but that's kind of our concept sometimes. It's somebody that, that, has, that is almost perfect. Or at least maybe even somebody who is almost perfect in their own eyes. And they have their checklist of here's what a good person looks like and here's what a, a right person looks like. And they go down, check, 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 do all those things. Yes, I am. I am righteous. You know, actually, that was the mindset. That's not just a, a, a current mindset. That was the mindset of people in Jesus' day as well. That... A person who memorizes the most scripture and keeps the most rules and, and goes through the most, uh, you know, does the sacrifices all the right way and goes through the, all the routines the right way and, and, and memorizes uh, more prayers and says them more often. Those are the righteous people, the people that do all the right things and can point out all the flaws in other people. Those are the righteous people. And so if somebody in Jesus' day were to read James' words, were, were to see this and say, well, this is the righteous person uh, whose, whose prayers are powerful and effective, they would read that and think, well, it's, it's a person who has this checklist mentality, a person who's doing things right, who's praying the right way, and who's making the right choices and praying in the right place. That's whose prayers are going to be powerful and effective. And I talked about this with this church family a couple of summers ago when we actually talked about what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer and talked about the, the concept of prayer and the practice of prayer in Jesus' day. 
It was so important, especially to the religious people, the righteous people, to do things just right when they prayed. And so there were certain postures that you had to have. You could stand and be looking up to heaven as you prayed, uh, or you could be, you know, bowing your head, or you could be having your arms outstretched and kind of praising toward God, or you could have your arms outstretched with your hands turned this way and ready to receive from God. And some people thought, no, you need to, you need to kneel when you pray. It's a matter of submission, uh, and I need to be bowing and, and be humble before God. And some people would just lay flat out on the ground, face to the ground, calling out to God uh, with their prayers, which would be, I'm, I'm completely giving myself uh, in this prayer to God. And they had all these different postures, and there were certain times that you adopted certain postures, and, and then there were words and phrases that you used. And maybe you went through the Psalms and you prayed some of those things that David wrote hundreds of years ago, or there's other prophecies and prayers in the Old Testament. Uh, they even had prayer books back in Jesus' day where you could just you could just have this this prayer written out for you and just recite it word for word. That way you made sure that you said all the words correctly in case you couldn't memorize it yourself. And then there was just the whole routine. You had to pray certain prayers at certain times around certain people for certain things. And you had to do those things correctly. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of prayers back in Jewish day that had to be done, back in Jesus' day, that had to be done exactly the right way. There's this one prayer called the Amidah that they prayed three times a day. When you got up in the morning and then you stopped in the middle of the day and when you went to bed at night and you prayed this prayer word for word. Every single day. And if you kept up with the routine and you said the words the right way and you had the right posture, you were a righteous prayer. You were a righteous person. What was important to people then in Jesus' day, sometimes is as important to us nowadays. That I got to be doing everything just right and I got to say everything just right and I got to be just right so that God will unleash his power in some way, so that God will unleash his presence in my life. And, and hear me say, I, I'm not saying that words and postures aren't important. What we choose to say to God is very important. I think it's important sometimes, more for us than for him, to, to think about what postures we're in. Eyes closed, head bowed, hands up. There's all sorts of different postures that we can adopt, but that's more about us than it is about him. How am I wanting to communicate to God what it is that's on my heart right now? That's important. And I don't want to diminish that at all. But what I want us to understand is that experiencing God, unleashing his power and presence in my life is not dependent on me completing a checklist of doing it just the right way. And it's not dependent on me completing a checklist of how I live my everyday life and making sure that I've done enough right things during the day so that God will tune in and listen to me. Or at least that I've done enough right things on my checklist, at least more so than you have on yours. And that way God will hear me. That's not what James is talking about here. According to James, God engages Whatever it is that I'm praying, and he conquers it, he blesses it, he uses it in a powerful way, not because I'm doing everything right, but because I'm in a right relationship with him. That's the difference. And that's what James is talking about. When I choose to believe the story is true, when I choose to believe that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God, 
that he really did leave his throne in heaven. He came down to this planet, and to his creation, and allowed his creation, even though he taught them and healed them and spent time with them, he allowed his own creation to take hold of him, mistreat him in horrible ways, kill him. And they rose again on the third day with power. And that a few days after that, he rose again to be in his throne in heaven. And that one day he's coming back again to take me to be where he is. If I believe that is true, and I respond to that by giving my life to Jesus Christ, by, by confessing his name, by saying, Jesus, I want you in my heart. I want you as the Lord of my life. By repenting of my sins and saying, I'm going to try my best not to do those things anymore. By being baptized in his name and being covered in his blood and by walking out of those waters, doing my best for the rest of my life to just try to be the kind of person that he wants me to be, knowing that I'm not going to do it. I'm going to fail all the time, but he's going to wipe the slate clean because I'm covered in his blood. If that is who I am, if that is who he is and who I am in response to that, that's the relationship. That's the right relationship that James is talking about here. That as long as I stay connected to God in that relationship, as long as I am connected with God in that relationship, there is consistent power that God is ready to put on display in my life. He's ready to unleash into my life when I choose to pray. It's not about me doing everything right. It's about me being in a right relationship with him. And James says, when you're in that kind of connection, that kind of relationship, powerful, effective things happen. God's power is unleashed when you pray. Maybe the reason that I'm not experiencing that unleashing in my life, maybe the reason that I'm, that I'm missing out on it, just not seeing it, is because maybe I just am not really paying attention to what really matters when I pray. And I, just to kind of give you a heads up, we're going to talk about this more next week. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the how-tos and how to get better at uh, being more consistent in our prayer lives. But, but this morning, what I really want to focus on is what the, the, the parts of me that really matter when I pray. What's important to, to allow God to unleash his power in my life. And the first thing, one of the things that's most important is my heart. Why is it that I'm praying? What, where is my heart in connection to God's heart right now? What's my motivation for praying in the first place? If you go back in James, go back a chapter to chapter 4, and in verse 3, James says this, when you ask, when you're asking God for something, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James says there are times when God doesn't unleash his power, when God won't unleash his power, and he won't move to answer, not because he can't, not because he doesn't have the power to, but because of where my heart is. Because all, it is, all that I am asking for and all I'm wanting him to do is all about me. And it's my selfishness, it's my selfish desires, and it's, it's just what I want. And he's not necessarily going to answer that prayer in a powerful way. That's what James says. Maybe, maybe it's that my heart, except when I choose to pray, is completely focused on other things besides God. 
I mean, I say God is the most important thing in my life. I say he's ruling my life, that he's the king of my heart. But let's be honest, what, is, what, is, what do my actions show? Does my job own my heart? Does my paycheck own my heart? Does my stuff own my heart? Does this relationship with this person that I'm in, is that, is that the king of my heart? Am I doing ungodly things throughout every day of the week, but then on that one, those few minutes when I choose to pray, okay, now I want a white slate clean, and now, God, uh, if you'll give me my, my grocery list of things that I want, we'll, we'll be good. God addressed that with his people hundreds of years ago through the prophet Isaiah, and he says in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, these people come to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I can say the right things in really eloquent ways when I pray. And it is nothing but empty words if they don't come from, from a sincere heart that's in, that's in a relationship with God. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to me talking and communicating with God, my God is much more concerned about this than he is about this. My heart really matters when I pray. My faith really matters when I pray. Do I really believe that God can unleash his power? Maybe even, maybe even a better question is, do I, do I really expect him to unleash his power when I pray? Or do I kind of pray with the attitude, I may not articulate it this way, but I'm like, well, I'll ask. But it's not really going to happen. You know those times when you were growing up with your parents and you wanted to do something and you knew your parents were going to say no? And your friends were like, just go ask, just see what happens. And you're like, well, I'll ask, but I already know. That was just my family, nobody else had that? Okay, well. Or they gave the answer, maybe. Oh, that was the worst answer in the world, right? Because that meant what? No. Yeah, exactly. Okay, everybody, we're on the same page. Folks, that's how some of us approach God. I have something in my life, and it's on my heart, and I want God to move in a powerful way, but you know what? He's probably not going to. James says in James chapter 1, verse 6, when you ask, when you talk to God about these things that are in your heart, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. James says there's too many times that we pray and, and, and we offer these prayers to God and, and, and we know that we're supposed to do that, but in our hearts, in our minds, we're thinking, you know, God, I want this to happen. And I, I think it might happen, but it probably won't. But maybe it will, but it probably won't. And we just go back and forth with our minds just thinking, well, God might, he might do something. Well, he probably won't because, I mean, who has he ever done that for? But, but you know, we're supposed to pray for the things we want. But, you know, I, he's probably not even listening. He's got other things going on. But I really need this in my life. But he's probably just going to say no anyway. And maybe we're not physically pacing back and forth in the room that way, but that's what we're doing in our minds and hearts. And James says, if that's the way you pray, if you don't pray with faith, if you don't pray with expectation, then don't expect the power to be unleashed. If I don't pray for, with the expectation that God is going to unleash his power in some way in my life, it may not happen. Not because he can't, but because I'm not expecting it. I need to pray in faith. I need to pray believing that God not only listens, that he's moving to answer. The other element that's important when I pray is that relationship we talked about a minute ago. 
Where is my relationship with God right now? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God, God moves to act for a person who is in a relationship with him. And that, I mean, that kind of defines who God is and, and, and how he has interacted with mankind from the very beginning. He created us for connection and relationship with him. Of all, the, of all the things he created, of all the animals, of all the living things in this world, he chose us and said, I want to be close to you. I want us to have a connection with each other. Go back to the very beginning. Go back to the book of Genesis and realize that before they messed everything up, Adam and Eve on a regular basis were walking with and talking with and spending time with God. Why? Because that's what he designed them for. That's what he designed us for, is to have connection and have a relationship. That's what he's always wanted. And prayer is a part of staying connected and deepening that relationship. This isn't about us just, you know, as, as God's subjects in his kingdom coming before him with our list of requests. He wants a, 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 I keep saying it, he wants a connection. He wants a relationship. He wants time. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 4. He says, when we're children of God, when we do, as I've already said this morning, when we, when we go through the process of believing that the story is true and responding in faith to that, to that story and becoming children of God, we have God's spirit living in us. And he says in Galatians 4 and verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now, for many of us, we see Abba, we think disco band from the 70s, Right? This is an ancient Hebrew word that means father. But there's other words in the Bible that, that could be translated as the word father. This particular word was what Hebrews, what Jews re, used to refer to the intimate relationship between a child and their father. First words that children speak are just syllables, right? Mama, dada, that kind of stuff, right? The Hebrew word for father is ab, A-B. When children learn that word, it's ab, 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 That's how they would learn to say father. Paul says here, that's the kind of relationship we should have with God. Not this disconnected father who lives in some kingdom far away but a father that's right there with us that wants nothing more than us to crawl up in his lap and tell him about our day. That wants nothing more than just to share with him what's going on in our lives and him be able to, to share things, truths with us that we need to hear. He wants that intimacy, that closeness, that family, closer than family connection. And if I'm missing that kind of connection with God, it's going to affect how I pray. One of my favorite things over the last several years, we have a big kitchen counter in our house. And one of my favorite things is just the random times when one of my boys sits on that kitchen counter and talks about whatever. And I'll drop everything. It doesn't matter whatever, what, what I was doing at the time or what I need to get done. I'll stand there in that kitchen. We'll talk as long as they're, as they're, as long as they're willing to sit there. Because I want that connection with my boys. I talked to my dad on the phone last week. 
for about 45 minutes about nothing. And we both enjoyed every minute of it because we have that connection. I realize not everybody has a relationship like that with their fathers. I understand that. And I'm not trying to, to promote mine and say, look how awesome mine is and how yours is terrible. That's not what I'm trying to do either. I'm trying to get you to understand that what I've just described to you, just that time of just talking and sharing and, and being in life together, my God craves that with you. But if one of my boys, instead of sitting on that kitchen counter and just talking about the day or talking about school or sports or whatever it is they're struggling with, talking about faith kind of stuff, instead of doing that, if one of my boys walked in uh, and said, okay, um, greetings and salutations, provider for the home. Please see the attached list of current needs and preferences. I hope that these items can be procured and delivered at your earliest convenience. Cordially yours, your offspring, and walked out of the room. That'd drive me nuts. I'll confess. That's what I do with God sometimes. I walk into the throne room of God and I say, deliverer of my needs and wants, here's my list. Why don't you get right on that? I may not say it that way, but that's how I treat him. That's not what God wants. He wants a relationship. And he wants our conversations with each other, my sharing with him, him sharing with me, to be produced by that relationship and that connection. So if I'm struggling to, to talk to God in that way, if I'm struggling to see God unleashing his power and, and, and working in an effective and powerful way in my life, maybe part of the reason is I'm just disconnected. We're not in a relationship right now. And until I get that relationship fixed, I can't see him unleash his power. If I want to experience God's power being unleashed in my life, I need to ask myself, where's my heart? How's my faith? Where am I at in my relationship with God? As I said a few minutes ago, we're going to talk more about this. We're going to get a little bit more details next week, kind of some how-tos. What are some action steps that I can take to get better at this? To, to allow God to unleash his power in my life, to recognize when God is unleashing his power in my life. But I want to wrap up this morning with just, just this one thought. We talked about God unleashing his power. And when you think about that, when you think about God unleashing his power. You go through different Bible stories. I mean, you can, you know, you think about God parting the Red Sea. That's unleashing his power, right? There's, you know, this waves of water being piled up on either side and just people being able to walk through on dry land. You can think of, of you know, fireballs coming from heaven and, and, and completely disintegrating sacrifices. I mean, there's all these different, I mean, go through the miracles of Jesus, all these different ways that Jesus unleashed uh, uh, his power, that God unleashes power. We, we may think to ourselves, that's what I want to see. I want to see God do something amazing. I want to see God do something that I, that I could, that, that would just be, I would get so many million clicks if I could video it and put it on, on YouTube because it's just supernatural. It's these amazing things that God could do. I want his power to be unleashed in that kind of way. 
And I'm not saying that God can't do that. But maybe that's not where I need to start. There's a story that many of you would be familiar with. I've talked about it with this church family before. It's found in Luke chapter 18. And Jesus tells the story of two guys that go to pray. And one guy feels really good about himself. And he stands where everybody can hear him. Because they didn't have microphones and PA systems back then. So he stood in where everyone could hear him as he came into the church building. And he just talked about, God, you are awesome, but so am I. And you're really an amazing God to make me as good as I am. And I, you have given me the ability to tithe really big and donate a whole lot of money and do all the right things. And you have made me so much better than this other guy over here. And this other guy over here was a tax collector. People hated tax collectors back in that day. They weren't second class, third class citizens. They, they, weren't, they shouldn't have even been citizens in the Jewish mindset. They were disgusting people. And this tax collector goes off by himself, away from everybody else. And he's so consumed with guilt over the life that he's led that he can't even look up to heaven. Pounding on his chest. Beating himself up. Physically and emotionally. And he just has one simple prayer. God, is there any way is there any way that you forgive somebody like me? Nobody else likes me. I don't even like me. Is there some way that you could still love me and forgive me? And Jesus says, God's power is unleashed in that life. That man went home forgiven. God moved in a powerful way in that man's life. Maybe that's where I need to start today. Not by seeking God's supernatural power over this physical universe, but by seeking God's supernatural grace over my long list of mistakes and failures and flaws. That's what I need unleashed in my life this morning. Maybe you do too. So we're going to stand together here in just a second. We're going to sing a song about how God hears, about how God sees where we are in our lives, and God listens and God moves and God answers. And as we're standing together and singing that song, if it's been a long time, not just since you've seen God's power unleashed in your life, but since you've even felt God's presence at all in your life, We can work on that together today. And I would invite you as we're singing this song to come forward and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to have, if nothing else, to have his grace unleashed in me so that I can get this relationship reconnected and started again. We we will help with that. If you never even experienced that relationship or that connection before, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you don't know what it's like to see his power unleashed in your life in any way, today's the day to start. You come forward and share that with us, and we will help make that happen. You can have complete forgiveness of sins. You can become a child of God. It can happen today if that's your choice, and we just want to help. Let's start letting God unleash his power in our lives.
Let's start expecting it to happen. And if this church family can help you do that, let us know how. Come forward and let us know while we stand and sing.